0: Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. A gracious God, three in one, one in three, we praise you this morning. We exalt and adore you. And we do thank you for the grace that you have given to us provided in the sermon that will be preached this morning, and what has already been provided for us in the word that has been read, the prayers that have been prayed. Lord, we pray now that you would attend us as we hear your word. Give us strength. Give us, Lord, listening ears, believing hearts and understanding minds. Help us not only to listen, hear, but also to obey. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. For your glory we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The last time that we gathered on the Lord's Day, we considered the effects of man's fall, the effects of the fall of man. We first noticed the abandoned responsibility of Adam. The Lord placed Adam over all of his creation as the earth's first king. He was given authority. He was given dominion over all of God's very good creation. Adam was placed in the garden to work it and to keep it. The garden was the earth's first temple and Adam its first king or its first priest. Adam was not only charged with keeping the garden pure from any unclean thing, but he was also charged with expanding the glory of the Garden of Eden to the ends of the earth. Adam was to fill the earth. ...with God's glory by expanding the glory of the Garden of Eden. The Lord God gave Adam his commands and he charged him with making his law known to all people... ...beginning with his wife, the woman, Adam's first, Adam was earth's first priest. Brothers and sisters, uh, with all of this privilege, yeah, bring it down, with the world at Adam's feet... With the world waiting for Adam to bring it to completion, Adam sadly abandoned his responsibility. Adam yielded over authority to Satan, who presented himself in the guise of a serpent. Adam listened to the voice of his wife, who listened to the voice of the serpent, and they together disobeyed the commands of their creator. Thus, the covenant between God and man was broken. Man became helpless without the strength to stand before God on his own terms and, and on, the, on terms of the covenant of works. Man became unable to move one step towards reconciliation toward God. Man became unable to, to ransom himself out of his depravity. The door of repentance was not opened for Adam. And if there was a door of repentance opened, Adam did not have the ability, the power, or even the desire to walk through that door. Adam now needed to be a new creature. Adam now needed to be redeemed. Adam now needed a redeemer. We then noted the immediate conflict that took place in the marriage union of Adam and the woman. And after they rebelled against the command of God. The Bible says in Genesis 3-7... Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Adam and the woman, uh, I keep referring to to her as the woman because she is not yet named Eve. Adam and the woman hide themselves from themselves. Adam and the woman hide themselves from themselves. They are ashamed of themselves. They are ashamed of each other. Adam now looks at his wife as the one who has deceived him, who has led him astray. The woman now looks to her husband as the one who was not loving her as he once did. And they are both guilty. And they are both pointing the finger at one another for their guilt. Genesis 3.8, and they heard the sound of God, the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God manifested himself by his spirit. Came down to execute judgment upon the man and the woman and the serpent. The man and the woman know that God has come to judge them. They fear the day. They fear the day. Uh, as I said in our uh, Men's Bible study class this past week during the race, it was not two o'clock in the afternoon. And Adam and the woman realize, oh, shoot. This is about the time that God comes down to visit us. Let's run. They are knowing that God has come down to judge and they are running in fear of judgment They are doing what every single rebel against God will do when God comes to judge the living and the dead. They will run for their lives. But there will be no place to run. There will be no place to hide. God has come. And notice this, though. God does not come and do exactly what he has every right to do immediately. What is that? God does not come and immediately strike down the man and the woman, although he has every right to do so. He does not immediately return man to the dust from whence he came. Rather, God comes down to pursue man. God comes down to pursue man. Man does not go searching for God. Eliminate from your vocabulary, I found God. You did not find God. God comes down to find man. God comes down seeking man. And man is hiding amongst the trees. There's another person who, see, who preaches a sermon calls, called, the, the Trees Are Laughing At Us. Man does not pursue God, but God comes down to pursue man. And, and what does he do when he pursues man? He does not say, Here I am, I'm knocking. He calls man forth. Where are you? Three words of mercy. Where are you? The Lord God graciously calls man to acknowledge his sin. To confess in sin, but there's something wrong with man. Man's stubborn now. Man is obstinate now, at the very core of his being, he's lost all innocence, he's lost all of his right rationale. He's now corrupted. First 10 he says, "I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam has already begun to avoid responsibility, but God continued to draw him out. God continues to call him on his sin. Who told you that you were naked? This has never been a problem before. Who told you? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam and the woman then begin to point fingers. They play the blame game. And in the blame game, not just one person, but everyone is the victim. Everyone is the victim. Nothing is no one's fault. No one has ever done anything wrong in the blame game. Husbands and wives, don't play the blame game with one another. Take responsibility for your actions and your sin. Confess them and things will go well with you. Adam and the woman attempt to find a scapegoat for their sin. And their fingers begin to point from the man to the woman. And altogether they end up pointing toward the serpent, that ancient dragon of old. And this morning, with God's help, we will consider verse 14 and 15, but with an emphasis on pay, on verse 14. And we will do so with two points this morning. Number one, very simply, the curse of Satan. Number one, the curse of Satan. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Brothers and sisters. Do you like snakes? Anyone have an affection for snakes? If you do, it must be an acquired taste. Here may be a a more difficult question for you Are snakes a sinful creature? Are snakes a sinful creature? Meaning, is there something evil about snakes in and of themselves? When you've heard or read this passage before, and I'm sure by now all of you have either heard of or read this passage on your own. How have you understood specifically verse 14? How have you understood that in the past? I would like for you to take how you've understood that in the past and throw that away this morning. Because that's exactly what I had to do when I came to this verse. And I pray that the Lord brings clarity to our understanding this morning concerning these verses. The Lord God comes to the tempter. And you may notice that there is no dialogue with Satan, who has disguised himself as a serpent. There is no no dialogue. Satan has taken the form of a serpent. And he may have fooled the man and the woman. But he has not fooled God. He may have fooled the man and the woman into thinking that he is an innocent creature, but he has not fooled God. The Lord God comes to the serpent, and you may notice again, he's not speaking to the serpent as he spoke to the man. When the Lord God comes to Adam, there is grace in his words. There is forbearance and patience with his words. But not so when he speaks to the serpent. And we could say that that God is, is not even really speaking or dialoguing with the serpent. Rather, he is coming and judging the serpent. It's not a dialogue. God does not give Satan a chance to account, to give an account for his actions. He does not give the serpent a moment to speak. And there is no word of defense from the lips of that slithering snake. He is guilty. And he is condemned as such. The Lord God in the garden does the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ does in the wilderness. The Lord Jesus Christ does not dialogue with the serpent. Rather, he condemns the serpent with God's word. Brothers and sisters, you must also not dialogue with the serpent. You must also not reason with the serpent. But when he lies, communicate to him that which he must run from and flee from. God's word when he lies to you, when he comes and tries to deceive you, do not dialogue. Give to him the same medicine that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to him. Give him a dose of God's word. Satan is the culprit. He's the sniper who attempted to camouflage himself in the form of a serpent. He is the thief who was caught red handed. Satan deceived the woman and then she led Adam astray. God confronts the Satan, or Satan, and brings him low. Satan, take this word down. Satan is abased. Satan is abased. The Lord God brought Satan low. He humbled, or better stated, brought him into an eternal state of humility. He humbled, or better yet, brought him into an eternal state. Eternal state of humility. Not, again, that Satan Satan is humble, but he is eternally humiliated for his part in tempting God's man and God's woman. He is abased. He is the most subtle. He is the most crafty. And now he is the most humiliated of all creatures. The most subtle of all creatures and now the most humiliated of all creatures. The Lord God said in verse 14, cursed are you above all livestock. You see that? The new, or the King James, more accurately on this point, states, Cursed are you more than, more than all livestock, more than all beasts of the field. You are cursed more than these. There is a curse upon all of creation. And the one who has endured that curse more than all of creation is Satan. The point is one of magnitude. Of all things that the Lord God has created. And all things that are now cursed at this particular part be point because of the fall, Satan has been placed at the lowest of all things that are cursed on the earth and, and in all of creation. Do you hear that? The Lord God created man in his image and gave him power, gave him dominion, gave him authority. Satan lusted after that position of prominence. Satan wanted to ascend over man. The king of God's creation over all created things, and therefore deceived man into disobeying the commands of God. The rulers of creation believed the deceiver. Satan successfully threw Adam down. And when he threw him down, immediately ran to the throne of Adam and sat there upon it, taking that place of dominion and authority. You got that? But it didn't last very long. It didn't last very long. The Lord God comes down, confronts and judges Satan, and he immediately places a halt to the authority that Satan thought that he had seized forever. Satan is not given authority. He's not given dominion. He's not given power that he believes that he has gained through deception. He is abased. He is brought low below all creatures. He is brought down to the bottom of the totem pole of all creation. God is saying, in essence, Satan, you want to be greater than all things that have been created. You will never get what you want. You will never rise to those heights. You are more cursed than all creatures and above all creatures. And this curse is communicated. This truth that we are saying that he is cursed above all creation It's communicated in the language of a serpent. Why? At the outset of of this sermon, we asked, are snakes sinful in and of themselves? And here's the answer. No, they are not. No, they are not. Verse 14, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. Here it is. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. What is God communicating here? Are we to understand this, as I once did, that the animal, this snake, this slithering serpent, is cursed by having its arms and legs removed, so that it must from now slither along the ground on its belly until eternity. How many of us have understood that passage that way? Why am I raising my hand? Why aren't you? I don't believe that that is what is being communicated here, and I'm not alone on this point. Now think about this. What animal does Satan use in order to deceive Adam and the woman? What animal does Satan use? A serpent, Satan, of all the animals that he could have chosen, out of all of God's good and perfect creation, God chooses, or Satan chooses, a serpent, a snake. Now think about what a snake is. One who slithers along the ground on his belly. Satan chose that serpent. One who does not literally eat dust for food, but who regularly eats dust as he finds his way upon the earth. He is low he is a low creature and and, and he's also detestable we don't naturally have a, have a love for snakes it is an acquired taste it is something that you must learn to like learn to love but for the most part we despise the serpent isn't that ironic are you following me Out of all the creatures that Satan could have chosen to deceive the man and the woman, the serpent, or Satan, chooses the exact personification of what he will become through the judgment of God. Meaning, your place in all creation, Satan, will be just like the snake's place in all of creation. The snake is low. He is the lowest of all six-day creatures. Satan, so are you. The snake eats dust on the ground. And Satan, so will you. The snake is regarded as detestable and vile. And Satan, so are you. The irony is this. God is saying, hey Satan, you want to be a snake? You want to be a snake? Okay, you're a snake. You and the snake now have everything in common. The choice of the serpent, or the the, the choice of Satan, of the serpent, comes back to bite him in a way that he could have never perceived. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. The crawling of the serpent is henceforth from this point on it's symbolic just as in now listen close in chapter 9 of genesis we have a a new significance for the rainbow that has been decreed for the rainbow not a new not a new existence but a new significance are you with me i'll say that again in genesis 9 we have a new significance for the rainbow Not a new existence of the rainbow. The rainbow now exists to do what? To signify a covenant between God and Noah. But rainbows existed before then, they just took on a new significance, not a new existence. Just the same, or so it is with the snake. Who before this curse existed as a slithering snake. But that slithering snake now took on a new significance, not a new existence. The, snakes then, the snake now signifies what Satan is among all of the creatures in all of God's creation. He is the lowest of the low. And so it is with Satan. Satan is the lowest of the low. The Bible says in Psalm 72, 9, his enemies, God's enemies, will lick the dust. That's how low they are. The enemies of God are brought down low. They are humiliated. They will not conquer. They shall not overcome. And this is true for Satan. Micah seven seventeen, they shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. Satan you like serpents good you're a serpent you're just like them what they are signifies what you are your place in all of creation will be just like the serpent it's called an idiom it's God taking something that is true and using it to show the serpent what will likewise be true about him there's an old song that we used to sing growing up in church Satan is under my feet you may remember that you remember you may remember stomping on the floor. He's under my feet, he's under my feet, Satan is under my feet. Now, although that song may at, at that particular time uh, been silly, it is true. Satan is under our feet. He is the lowest of all creation. And it means this, brothers and sisters Satan will not be a threat. He is not going to be a threat. And he's not going to be a threat in the ultimate sense to God's people. Isaiah sixty five twenty five. Think about this or listen to this. The world or, or, or the, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. What is that? What is that? That is the consummation of all things. All things are created anew. There is no curse. There is no sin. Man dwells perfectly in harmony with God. It is the new creation. And in the new creation, there is no threat. Can you imagine? A lion eating grass alongside of an ox. A wolf grazing with a lamb. And still... The serpent is present and he is not a threat above all the beast of the field. He is slithering on the ground all the days of his life. And God puts uh, enmity, as it were, between Satan or God puts a a division, a a safety net over his people of, of over his people from Satan who attempts only in this life to draw us away from God. But he will not be a threat to the people of God. Now, we know that today, the fangs and the venom of the serpent are still potent. He is still a prowling adversary. But brothers and sisters, he does not have unlimited power. He does not have free reign. He is subdued. He is on a leash. He has been abased. Amen. Number two, very simply, Warring families. Warring families. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Last week, a statement was made about Adam and the woman concerning their relationship to Satan. And here's what I said. Adam and the woman are being crafty. They are being cunning. They are acting more like the father of lies than the father of creation because Satan is now their father. You remember that? At this point in the narrative, at this point in verse 15 or verse 14. This is true. At that particular moment, God came down to seek and to save what? Those who were lost. His lost image bearers. And, brothers and sisters, Adam and the woman, at this particular point, they are lost. Satan has usurped the authority given to man, and he has deceitfully and successfully become the father of the man and the woman. Satan has. Satan is their father at this particular point. They were at that point, not originally, but through original sin, children of the devil. But this friendship, it does not last long. Just like the dominion and authority that Satan thought that he had did not last long, so also the friendship between Satan and this man and woman also does not last long. The Lord God comes down to his fallen creatures, and he confronts the one who is the root of their fall. After cursing Satan, more than and above all creatures, God then brings an end to the friendship of Satan and God's creatures. He not only takes the authority away that Satan had, he also takes the fellowship and friendship away that Satan had with his created beings, with God's created beings. Verse 15 I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Enmity is what? War. Enmity is what? Hostility. The Lord God will bring hostility, a war between mankind and between Satan, where there will be where there was friendship at one moment. There will be conflict between the two. And don't let this pass you by again. There was friendship between Satan and the image bearers of God. There was friendship. And listen, it was not a forced friendship. Are you with me there? Satan did not place his fangs at the throat of the image bearers of God and threatened them to eat the forbidden fruit. They freely ate the forbidden fruit. They they willingly ate from the tree that God forbade. Man freely chose to rebel against God. Man freely chose to become an enemy with God, with the enemy of God. Are you there with me? Did man know what was at stake? Yes, he did. Did man know that that his actions would affect all of humanity and bring death to all? Yes, he did. Imagine that. This was not a man saying, I didn't know what was going to happen. This is not a man who, like we sometimes do, I had no idea what I was doing. No, you know exactly what you were doing and you knew the consequences thereof. We believe that when God said, but in the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Adam knew exactly what God meant and knew exactly the devastating consequences that would transpire should he disobey. And yet, knowing all that he knows, he and the woman ate anyway. They joined Satan in their hatred towards God. Man, by nature, is a hater of God. But glory be to God. This would not be the final word in the story of mankind. Brothers and sisters, that's bad news. That's bad news. We were doing worship with my son this past week, sharing with him the gospel. And I said, gospel means good news, son." And he said to me, and from the lips of babes, right? He says to me, so then what's the bad news? That's a great question, son. I've never shared anything like that with him, but he immediately said, I said, this is what's called good news, son, gospel. He said, so that, but then what's the bad news? And it is through bad news that we get good news. It is through disobedience. It is through this judgment. It is through cursing. That light begins to to break forth through the darkness. If if you were uh, to only have these three verses. And the Bible closed. Or these verses that we've just talked about. There would be much despair in this world. There would be no hope in this world. If you were to to live as Adam and Eve lived, and you heard the Spirit of God coming down to judge you, you would have one thing appropriately on your mind. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. You should, if you were a rebel against God, believe that all is lost and that you were doomed, if this is where it ended, if it ended with what we are talking about this morning. Do you remember the first time that you thought, I am going to die because of something you've done? Do you remember the, 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 the doom and the despair and the absolute darkness that surrounded you because you thought, now I'm going to die. This is it. This is the end of me. For me, it was seventh grade. I hid my report card for six months for my mom and dad. They finally found it. And I thought, today I shall surely die. <laughs> but it is through this darkness that light comes. And our fathers of the Reformation rightly understood that this gracious way in which God of heaven and the God of earth extends his eternal being to his, to his people is expressed in words Like post-Tenebras Lux, after darkness, light. Light breaks through the darkness. All is not lost. Man, and we will get to his punishment, man will not be lost. This curse from God upon Satan and his offspring, it sets a stage for a cosmic conflict that will play out in the rest of human history and that finds its culmination in the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan, this is what you have done. Woman, this is what you have done. Man, this is what you have done. Now God tells us what he will do. What will God do? He will break the bond that has been established, the friendship that has been established by Adam, the woman, and the serpent. Satan ascended the throne and created the bond between Satan and man. They acted like Satan in their sin, but God is saying this today comes to an end. God will drive a wedge between Satan and the apex of his creation, mankind. Satan will not have dominion. Satan will not have authority. God will redeem his image bearers and restore all that was lost through their disobedience. And God will restore perfect fellowship and communion with his elect. From this moment forward, there will be two families. Children of the serpent and children of God. The Lord God said, I will put enmity. Who does? God does. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Listen close. There will be children of the devil. There will be children of the devil. God is not obligated and God will not save all people. He will save all those whom he has eternally chosen to to save. Why? Why? Because he's no, under no obligation to save anyone. The fact that he saves someone is a display of his eternal mercy. This act of sin produced two opposing families in history. They are the offspring of the devil and they are the offspring of the woman. The offspring of the woman uh, look forward to the seed of the woman. They look forward to this, not seeds, but seed of the woman that would one day come and crush the head of the dragon. And at that time, men and women have fallen. They believe all is lost and they are hearing uh, Satan being cursed by God. And in the midst of that curse, they hear, and there will come one. Who will crush the head of the serpent. Now put your place. Put yourself in their place. Put yourself in their shoes. You believe all is lost. You believe that you are doomed. You believe that this is the end of all. And that Satan has won the day. And yet in the midst of of God's voice you hear. And there will be a seed who comes from the woman. And the woman is saying I will produce a seed. And the man is saying there is only one way that a woman can produce a seed. And that is through the man. But he will not be used in this process that God will produce a seed and it will come through this woman, this woman who was at first deceived. And now she is saying, I will be used to bring forth what someone who will crush his head, who will ultimately destroy him. And how do you think Adam and the woman think about this or what do you think they think about this serpent at that particular time? Did they love him? Oh, it is his fault. And now they are hearing God say there will be one who comes through this woman who will crush him. Is that not good news? This is what the the theologians of old called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. The first good news, there will come one seed from the woman who will display dominion, who will exercise authority, who will be fruitful and will multiply, who will guard and expand the garden, who will bring all things to consummation because he will crush the head of this dragon. He is the skull crushing seed of the woman. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will destroy Satan. Satan, your days are numbered. Your doom is sure. And you mean in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this despair, there is hope? There is a seed that will come from the woman. She will not die now. Brothers and sisters, the entire story of the Bible, the entire story of the world is contained in this verse. The cosmic storyline is the story of human history, and we are a part of that story. What offspring are you? What offspring? Are you God has saved us those who believe in Christ alone saved us from the dominion of darkness. He has rescued us from the clutches of sin and he has delivered us from the curse the devastating curse of Adam. We are born again through the finished work of the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Bible says in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And now what? And now as children of God, we are waiting. We are waiting for that final completion of war. When sin and death will be no more. When Satan will be conquered once and for all. And finally, what is a curse for Satan is a blessing for us. God is going to create two opposing families, children of the devil, children of the seed, and Satan will not overcome. Brothers and sisters, do you know that the devil is not God? Do you know that? He is a combatant, but we must never place him on the same playing field with God. This should be clear. God is judging and cursing him. There's no pushback from Satan. Even with the bruising of the head of the seed. That bruising has been foreordained by God. When he is confronted by the word of God. What does he do? He must submit. He must obey. He cannot stand against it. The devil is a creature. He's limited. He's finite. He is not God. He cannot overcome or contest God's power. Brothers and sisters. Even though we are talking about conflict. Keep this in the right perspective. Keep in perspective who and what we're talking about. Don't give credit to the devil for every bad thing that happens. Everything that goes wrong, the devil's after me. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, he's on a leash. He's a creature. And he can only go as far as God allows. God is in control. God is at work. In the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, the creatures of Narnia are encouraged by hearing, Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And there is hope. The Lord God is working. He is accomplishing all of his plans. He is working and he will accomplish the victory. Therefore, do not fear. Don't be dismayed. Stand firm and trust that God is enthroned. That that no one has replaced him. No one has taken his spot from the throne. He is on high. He shall never be displaced or replaced. He is God forever. See his mercy in loving us when we did not love him. Everything will be perfect in the end. If things are not perfect, it's not the end. Everything will be perfect in the end. If things are not perfect... Then it's not the end. We are told the end from the beginning. And in this process we can, be, we can become impatient. Because we see sin. We see pain every day. But brothers and sisters, roses have not been promised to you while we are here. My father used to say, you've not been promised that you will be tiptoeing through the tulips. We are promised that while, while all will be made whole in the end. All will be made perfect in the end. The end is not here yet. So be patient until that day. And believe and rest in the fact that victory is assured. The doom of Satan is assured in Christ. In scripture we have a promise and a picture of Christ's return. We have a hope in him. And our hope is not subjective. It's a guarantee. We shall never be put to shame because of the hope that we have in Christ and his return. Satan has been subdued, and we have a picture of perfection that we can look forward to in the meantime. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you live in a fallen world. Expect opposition. Expect persecution. Be surprised if it doesn't come your way. And if it doesn't come your way, praise God for that fact. But expect it when it comes. Expect conflict in your marriages. Expect trouble in your job. Expect uh, death and pain and sickness. Why? Because you still live in the fallen world. Things are not perfect. Amen. It's not the end. When things are perfect, then you will say, ah, it's the end. Don't be surprised when people hate you. Don't be surprised when your family member's who you have grown up with and have great bonds with, all of a sudden because you believe the gospel and they do not, that there is conflict there. Understand that there is a promise of two families, and maybe you have grown up in the same family, but you are now part of two different families. And accept that. As difficult as it may be, accept that. And in the meantime, keep praying for them. Keep witnessing to them. Let us love and pray for our enemies. Love those who war against us. Pray for them. Why? Because you were once a part of that family. You were eternally a part of God's family, but it took a while to get there, didn't it? Where is this battle fought and won? In the church. This battle is fought and won in the church. The church is the new creation. It is the kingdom of God. And God works through that preaching, this preaching. Each and every time one hears the gospel and turns to Christ. And when that takes place, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice that one has been taken from the offspring of Satan and being adopted into the family of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, God has made a promise about his church that what? The gates of hell shall not prevail. That God will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. If you trust in Christ alone this morning, if you know that it is by grace and by grace alone that you are saved, be encouraged. There is victory that has been won on your behalf. And you have a hope, and in that hope you will not be put to shame. To God be the glory. Let us stand.